Welcome to All Business No Boundaries, a collection of supply chain stories by DHL Supply Chain, the North American leader in contract logistics. I'm your host, Will Haywood. This is a place for in-depth discussions on the supply chain challenges keeping you up at night. We're breaking beyond the boundaries that are limiting your supply chain. Let's dive in. This episode is from an unprecedented year to back to normal, removing supply chain boundaries post-pandemic. My guests today are Chris Adderton, Vice President, Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals, and Bridget Typoski, Senior Director of Solution Design at DHL Supply Chain. Welcome to you both, and thanks for being here. Thank you. Okay, so for starters, I gave you your name and title and organization, but if you could take it maybe a step further and tell us who you are and a bit about your organizations and the responsibilities of your role. Chris, why don't you start? Thanks, Will. I'm Chris Adderton. I'm Vice President of the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals, the largest professional association in the global supply chain. We serve our member community with a mission to connect, educate, and advance the supply chain profession. We produce the State of Logistics Report on an annual basis, which was just released in June. We also collaborate with a number of academic institutions and produce the EPIC Report in collaboration with the University of Tennessee and IHS market about global risk, economy, politics, infrastructure, and capability. We've also partnered recently with MIT to produce a sustainability report, which has just been released this week. We have over 200 events a year in our local chapters in non-COVID environments, those converted to virtual environments. And we have our annual EDGE conference every year in September, which we're scheduling live in Atlanta this year. So we have a broad network of affiliates, associates, We also have a full-blown SC Pro Level 1 certification protocol, but our mission is clear, to connect, educate, and advance the supply chain profession. So hopefully our contributions today will help do that as well. My role is Chief Operating Officer role and maintaining industry relations. Super. Thank you. And we are very much looking forward to being back face-to-face with you at the EDGE conference uh, this year in Atlanta in a couple months. Uh, Bridget, could you please introduce yourself? Yes, my name is Bridget Toposki. I am part of our solution design and engineering team for DHL. Responsibilities to support our North American operations and facilities. We have over 50 professional design engineers on our team, and we work integrated solutions from network transportation and warehouse with primary focus of growing the business and working new business opportunities, pursuits, looking at automation, looking at new technology, piling technology, collaborating with our operations team, our business development team, and other parts of our organizations to continue to grow and service our customers. Great. And thanks for joining as well. So we are, I think, I hope, almost post-pandemic and certainly feeling some different kinds of effects. And, you know, if you listen to the headlines today, or even as a consumer prior to certain things, you hear a lot of stories around the supply chain not really working. Um, Supply chain challenges, everything from semiconductors to cars to, you know, basic consumer goods, not being able to find those things in stores. I wonder if we can maybe dig a little deeper into the headlines and try to understand how we're seeing that manifest itself and maybe what some of the drivers are in the market. Chris, from your members, what are you hearing in terms of what's going on out there and how are they reacting to it? Well, I think the core of the pain and agony we've all experienced, either as a consumer or as a business partner, has been triggered by the dramatic impact of a consumer change, right? The impact of COVID on human-to-human interaction changed behavior dramatically. Look at food consumption. Virtually the restaurant industry was 
you know, shut down temporarily and people shifted to home consumption. And you just don't manage that kind of volume in a short time without basically having the classic bullwhip effect, right? One thing happened and had a dramatic impact downstream. Similarly, you know, efficient supply chains that were predicated on timely transit times and documented transit times were disrupted as well. Displacement of fleets, displacement of crews, all compounded those problems and prompted people to shift dramatically and drive significant demand in some segments of the supply chain and basically shutting down others. So that's the fact of what the daily operations are dealing with. And it's very hard to, even if you're already agile, to be that agile to manage dramatic demand changes in the consumer behavior and ultimately in the operation of your organization. Okay, so a different degree of agile or maybe a different definition of agile. Bridget, go ahead. What are you guys seeing on the DHL side? Yeah, I would say, I mean, the landscape is is, is changing and it's changing faster that we're, we're seeing. So, you know, pre-COVID, you know, supply chain was starting to move more quickly than it had in years past. We were starting to get into technology, a lot of startups, you know, robotics in the industry that's popping up. It's migrating from manufacturing to where it's they've been in existence. They were migrating into supply chain and making those adjustments for those types of processes and activities. What you saw with COVID kind of coming in is supply chains were having to adapt to the consumer. Consumers couldn't go into stores. Consumers were, you know, everything was locked down. So that propped up supply chains that weren't into the e-com, the BDC network. They had to figure out a solution, a very quick solution to accommodate that. Consumers who said they would never go that route, like the traditional bricks and mortar, were forced to migrate to that out of necessity. And I think what we're seeing now from that standpoint is how much of that landscape is going to stay in place? How is it going to kind of you know settle? I don't think it's going to go back to what it was before. It may not stay to the height that it is right now. But all that was kind of changing within supply chain. And as what Chris alluded to, as far as the shutdowns, et cetera, you know, we're starting to see now the more pronounced wave within the design. Typically designs are six, eight months to get an operation up and ready. But because of things are slowly starting back up, there wasn't enough in process for steel chips. Everybody heard about it hitting the cars and et cetera, but it's also hitting you know the robotics you know that you're putting in your designs, labor shortages, right? As far as people maybe move from certain areas, different geographic, they change where they were living due to the COVID impact. So we're seeing labor shortages. We're seeing you know buildings itself, you know uh, lumber, steel, et cetera, that you would have for industries for your homes, et cetera, is also impacting supply chain and warehouses. So. All that is kind of having a ripple effect as looking at your designs where before it was looking at labor, maybe putting innovation and having a two to three year payback at minimum for technology to offset the cost of the capital. Now, because of labor shortages and increase in salaries and and demands of that nature, you're now looking at ROIs that are a little bit longer because it's a necessity because you can't find enough labor in the market. You can't find a big enough building. So now you're going to more compact buildings. So you're going vertical, but then going vertical, you need steel. So we're seeing that kind of impact kind of change how you design and how you kind of plan forward. It's been a little bit of a challenge from a standpoint because you can't control it. It's slowly coming back on the market. We're starting to see momentum coming back up. Manufacturers are creating new plants, et cetera. So I think it's going to take a while for us to kind of see it kind of start to level out. But those are the challenges we're having. I'm sure, Chris, you've seen it in the industry as well. Yeah, that's exactly what's happening. I mean, they're all they're components to your cost of operations, right? And transportation and supply chain components are all one. 
There's cost of capital and all those other types of things, inventory carrying costs and transfer costs. But the, the industry had been designing and working closely on a defined flow of materials and transportation that was pretty universally across the globe disrupted. And normally those disruptions ha- happen in isolated geographies or industries, and it happened everywhere at the same time, which created a unique set of, of people competing for many of the same resources dramatically. And while we're talking about COVID, during the COVID period, there were 22 um, major global weather-related disruptions that got totally overridden by by the COVID issue of the human capital engagement. You, you couldn't predict this, right? It literally, it's it's one of those risk profiles that you know no one could cost. People are evaluating whether their design models were correct and sustainable given the other uncertainties we're dealing with. In the EPIC report, we talk about economy, politics, infrastructure, and capability. Usually it's one or two of those things you're, you're dealing with in a risk profile in a, in a geographic part of the world. But right now it's been all four, whether it's tariffs, political disruption, political change domestically, changes in policy, which used to be longer term views that you could plan for now seem to have four-year cycles. That's very hard to, to Bridget's point, to make a decision on ROI. Also, inventory costs are, are significant on anyone's balance sheet, but capital costs have been historically low. What's going to happen if you know there's a whole group of CFOs that have never had to deal with high inflation models? It's going to create a different mix. And I think people are trying to figure out what the future can and should look like And it's not clear. Therefore, you have to have scenario planning. You have to make a set of judgments and have contingency plans probably more robustly than you've ever had. Classic cases in the supply network. Most of our members would talk about primary vendor qualification and visibility. Now people are looking at their secondary and tertiary suppliers in the marketplace so they know their health, they know their capability, they know their security in so many ways that are critical upstream. And that was obviously evidenced in the issue we, we realized we had with protective equipment. Yeah, it's also even flexibility, too, of the facilities, right, of being able to pivot to adjust as the market adjusts. What I've seen, like I said, you know, I've been in the industry for over 20 years for the landscape to change, it was, you know, it, it was a long horizon, you know, with slow migration from that standpoint. I would say five, six years ago, you start to see it speed up. And what I'm seeing now, it's getting faster and faster, right? Things are get, getting implemented, tested and within the supply chain a lot quicker than in, in years past. Those are things that you have to embrace. The consumer's driving it a lot, you know, from a standpoint, the expectation of our consumers, you know, speed, service level, customization, being able to kind of have have it when they want it delivered to wherever they want it, the flexibility of being able to have it delivered to your work, your house, etc. You're starting to kind of see them drive the changes that you have to adapt to. So that flexibility of you know, you're looking at capital, you know, to offset some of the labor impacts that we're seeing, but also you want capital that can be flexible, that can accommodate the change that you don't know what's coming two, three years out, but you want to have operations that can be flexible enough to, to absorb those changes and grow with the consumer as they change the, the playing field. And that's becoming a lot shorter of a horizon that we've seen in years past. Yeah. So I'm hearing a lot about how the rate of change is increasing I'm also hearing that the complexity level has gone up pretty considerably in a short period of time. 
or maybe accelerated a lot. I'm wondering both from an industry perspective and then Bridget from a provider perspective, how are you guys thinking about human resources or innovation, et cetera? And how does it change the way that you think about how your organization, how the industry is evolving? Yeah, it certainly has. There's, there's a couple of major trends. One is demographics are shifting, right? And, and, but there's also a major shift in the operation of the supply chain from a physical to a, a digital and to a technical need in that marketplace as more things go to automation. The demographic shift is you know, some core workforces in manufacturing and in transportation are aging out, and it's been very difficult to attract um, new workers to those jobs due to location and lifestyle. Obviously, everyone knows it's not an easy job being an over-the-road trucker, but it's also not an easy job being a plant operator, particularly as people who were originally trained in those jobs in, in the later stages of their career were doing physical, electrical, mechanical things. And now a ton of the work has gone to sensors and automation and, and production runs. That's had a big, big impact on that. But the, the technical requirements for a more dispersed and complex network is important too. Uh, we were fortunate enough to have Arthur Valdez, Chief Supply Chain Officer at Target, speak at our virtual conference last year. And he talked about them implementing programs they had on a five-year horizon in months. And the need to have their vendors understand that they went from a hub-and-spoke classical distribution model with warehouses and local trucks to distributing from stores in their e-commerce. Walmart has the same model, and now they have 1,100 distribution points or more. And that's a very much more complex and difficult model, and the need for accuracy and visibility in those net types of networks is incredibly important. So you can satisfy that consumer that is not walking a store looking at choices, but already has decided and you have to fulfill with a unique level of accuracy. Same thing applies in other industries as well. That's just the most recent example I can give. Yeah, I would say from supplier standpoint, what we're seeing is, again, the influence of the consumer. So speed to market, changing the platform from going into a store, the bricks and mortar. You know, a lot of our customers, you would have brand recognition. You'd go into store, you would see displays, you would have that brand loyalty. That's slowly, you know, harder to get and establish because now your interface is the Internet when you can search and you're searching and, and a lot of different options pop up. So creating that brand loyalty, creating that connectivity is now more challenging. The other part is they're doing their comparisons. They can see stuff side by side. So the speed of getting it to the consumer is forcing it from the supply chain of late stage customization. So getting the components in close proximity to the end user. And then at the point of sale is customizing to what that user wants. Everybody wants a, maybe a different color, a different thread put into their component to make it personalized to them. And that's how they're getting that, that loyalty to the customers where they can actually customize it and make that connection to the end consumer. So we're seeing a lot of that from, from that standpoint, late stage customization, Again, being closer to the end consumer, so you're going from national DCs to more regionals to maybe even more metro areas to get to that service level. So the consumer has it within three days, within two days. You're now seeing a lot of requests you know, in certain areas where you can get certain select SKUs within hours delivered to that consumer. So those are the changes that we're seeing within supply chain is that flexibility to 
bring components in without the SKU being a sellable SKU into the warehouse or into the supply chain is the components are coming in and then you can do the late stage customization and have the right SKU or the configuration for the end consumer once they place those orders. SLAs or service levels agreements are, are, are getting tighter and tighter, you know, as far as getting to that end consumer. And if you're not able to do that, your competitors are driving that. So there's a lot of competition from that standpoint that we're seeing. And if you're not playing in that market, you're going to slowly fade away because everybody's migrating to having that flexibility or a capability. And again, the consumer is driving it. The other thing that we're also seeing is, you know, the go green elements for the consumer. So how are you delivering that? It's customizing to that person, but it's also the presentation. That's where you're going to get the consumer. Did I like it? You gave me the right product, but that I have a good experience receiving it. When I opened up the package, was there a lot of dunnage in there? What, you know, was it an oversized box or, or from that standpoint? So the customization is not just the actual product itself, but it's also the package which it arrives in. And that's how you're they're establishing more of that brand loyalty or repeatable consumer uh, coming back to that same account because they had a great experience receiving the package as well as purchasing it. Yeah, well, I think that Britt's basically highlighting a key position of supply chain. And the C-suite is picking up on this. It is no longer just cost. It is value creation. All the things that Bridget just said create the consumer experience, right? And it's closer to the consumer than it's ever been before. I spent the first half of my career in sales and marketing. And the life value of that consumer is something you work on hard every time, every day. Availability, uh, packaging experience, user experience for every type of product is critical. And we don't talk about supply chain as a value creator enough. And, and that experience is what the successful people, highlighted by someone like Target, who spent the money, invested aggressively, increased their timeframes, had two of the best quarters they've ever had. Now, granted, the demand swing was, was massive in their direction, but they were in a position to um, invest to harvest the value of that consumer franchise that appears to be staying. And Walmart and some of the others that were leading in this space, there are many, have seen the same benefit. But it's not just cost. It's how you invest to create value over time. And this, it's pretty clear that those that invested and recognize that are getting a return on investment in their supply chains and their consumer experience. They're tied together. Yeah, so that's interesting. I want to stick with this concept of time. Bridget, as you guys work with your customers putting solutions together, how long of a contract are you talking about? What does that imply from a solution viability over time, given that there's all of this massive uncertainty that's come around in the pandemic and things are going faster? Has that changed the way that you guys are thinking about solution design? What's the overall effect? Timeline is definitely speeding up. You know, pre-COVID designs would come in. You could stand up an operation within six months. You're looking at from an ROI standpoint, you would look at manual versus putting in some layers of mechanization or automation. And your contract terms are usually in that three to five years. You were looking for that, you know, three year or so payback to kind of justify the technology to implement it. As you now kind of go after, you know, we're coming out of the COVID, you're looking at what is the impact of supply chain? Well, now we're having issues with sourcing parts, right? Steel, computer chips, which run, you know, robots, run, you know, our RF units, run the controls within our mechanization. 
all those are having tremendous lead times. With mechanization, you could put something up in 30 or so weeks. We're seeing the lead times now for installing a mech solution of 50 plus weeks. So it's a year. So those are, those are drastically kind of having an impact for, from that standpoint. And then you lay in the other factor, which is real estate shortages, having availability for building. The labor market is getting saturated in traditional campuses. So now we're looking at alternative campuses. We're looking at alternative locations that still balance service level, still have great population, a dense population for staffing those operations. More automation, more robotics are coming into our designs not just for the cost of greater throughput, but also to subsidize the labor shortages, to look at those tasks that may, may be more repetitive, that we can kind of automate. And maybe the ROI is a wash or close, but it also gives you less dependency on a labor force uh, f- from that standpoint. So all of that is kind of impacting how we're, we're looking at those designs, approaching it. The other part right now, just because of the lead time on things is, you know, operations, businesses are still growing. So we're still implementing, we're still driving that is how can we phase into starting out either a manual or starting out in a phase one of a design and how can that design continue to grow as the supply chain turns back on, as their volumes continues to increase. So now where you kind of do a design for three to five years out, you're now looking at your designs. Can I do a phase one? How can we make that as most efficient as possible? And then also, how is that going to go into a phase two, phase three to a final state solution? And it may be three separate implementations uh, that you're looking at. So it's, it's taken smaller chunks of a big picture and how to make it seamless to our customers from a standpoint of implementation, startup and ramp up. Yes, Chris, similar question to you. Whether your members are outsourcing or insourcing supply chain activities, and you mentioned a couple examples of some companies that have maybe invested ahead and benefited through the pandemic. Are you seeing more of a groundswell in terms of how your companies are resourcing or adapting their supply chain organizations? I think they're looking at multiple alternatives. You know, Even if the sourcing model, people talked about reshoring, it's really alternative shoring, right? The shifts from other you know, politically challenged areas or long transit times to others. Nearshoring is obviously a big trend. Having alternatives and having the ability to adjust scenarios as they unfold is really what people are doing, gaining greater visibility. Everyone is looking to, you know, there's an old economic rule, do what you do best or do what you do least worse. So if you're trying to adopt new technology, oftentimes it's better to, to go to an outsource model unless unless you have a core competency that's a differentiator, right? And people are looking at, you know, greater use of 3PLs because they have a greater visibility to the market. They have a better understanding of network design. Even large corporations, it's difficult for them to remain agile and resilient if they're dedicated to an internal mechanism, right? You always have to be looking for external benchmarks and external reference points. You know, we do research in that area. We, we have a document called the process standards that allow people to, to compare themselves externally. But yes, I think people are much more open to say it doesn't necessarily have to be built internally, but there are still major investments that preclude people from pivoting quickly. The reason you're seeing a lot of new technology come up, it's easier to start from a greenfield and, and design and build than it is to you know remodel and refit normally, unless you have a great real estate location and it's got great labor and then everybody else would like it. And you might want to sell the asset and go someplace else if you're have an extraordinary return. But I think the 
the bias to tradition is gone. It's just been wiped out because it's so hard just to stay where you are and hope for the best, which, you know, in some cases people would have considered, I'll just hunker down until the hurricane blows over. Well, this is a, this is a long hurricane. It's a, it's a 12 month um, blizzard, if you will, we're all living through. Yeah. And it doesn't seem yeah, like it's so. ever going to, you know, there is no return to normal. There's a new set of situational issues that we're all going to deal with in all aspects of supply chain. And it's, you know, buy, make, move, sell, right? Everything from how you source materials, you know, how a chip can cause you to be unable to sell a $45,000 vehicle because of one component part. That's pretty rare, but the system was designed that way, right? Lean lean principles would have said, you know, what's my risk profile? You know, single plant sourcing, how good is your co-packer relationship and how much you paying a premium to allow them to be on call, if you will, versus your own plants being able to run or running less than capacity. And certainly, you know, we keep talking about this, the changing in consumer behavior has never been this dramatic. And I think Bridget made the point, people that would never have considered some of the digital purchasing or shift to take place and the low cost of, of shifting. I mean, we have some pretty amazing supply chains out there. It's a new book out on Amazon. If you want to read a pretty classic story of evolution and continuous investment, it's a pretty, pretty amazing story. So acknowledging the fact that we'll never get back to pre-pandemic, if you could sort of look in your crystal balls, when do you think this aftershock stuff that we're working through now will normalize a bit? How far out do you think that is? I won't hold you personally to your forecast, but I will ask you to go first, Bridget. Yeah, I mean, you're talking to some of our vendors. I really think it's going to take us through next year, to be honest with you. I think it's probably middle of the year. We're going to start to kind of see it starting to flat and plateau. And then how far is it going to come back down to what we saw before? But it's a slow burn. I, I think we're starting to see industries address it by working extra shifts and creating manufacturing plants that are, are producing that that stuff. But to get it through the supply chain, through the till, and it's not just hitting one industry, it's hitting multiple. The chips are hitting supply chain, but it's hitting the car manufacturer, it's hitting the computer industry, et cetera. So it, it, we're all vying for these same components. But I really do believe it's going to be probably through middle of next year where it's starting to kind of like, hey, we're coming down. I don't think it'll be back to where it was, but I do think it's going to come back to normal expectancy as we get into 2022. So Chris, is she right? Yeah, you know, I have the benefit of being able to lay off the liability because I just market as a great partner for ours, for a couple of our pieces of work, and I get to see their economy and risk teams forecast. And I think it's pretty consistent with what Bridget said. It's more timing and magnitude of the change. Is it a gradual ramp up or is there going to be this exploding demand? The only caution I have, I spent, I have a kind of a mongrel dog pedigree, sales and marketing. I spent time at Nielsen spent time with a CPG company, and now I'm in the supply chain. But the uncertainty is really around the consumer and the human behavior we've got going on in the world. I mean, there's still so much uncertainty relative to this. And, you know, we just did a review of the upcoming release of the Epic Report. And normally that's a demographic view and an infrastructure analysis, a lot of economics, but it really is human behavior, politics. We're seeing, you know, things that haven't happened in decades. You know, you're looking at the political unrest in, in significant parts of the world that are critical to growth, a significant shift in demographics in China, 
as their economy has elevated the, the economy. You know, low-cost countries were always sort of the source. We've seen India and Vietnam and, and, and others benefit, Mexico benefit from the increased costs in China. But then the politics and the uncertainty, even our own domestic market, I think, is something that's uncertain. I think if those things, if we don't have another unrelated activity, I think we could actually see improved growth above the forecast. I mean, that's the, that's the piece. But I'm not naive enough to think there isn't some other hurricane coming from somewhere that we can't see. Or maybe it's a meteor. Who knows what's next? I'm, uh, we've all been watching way too much Netflix and the disaster movies I've deleted from my inventory. I, I think the one good thing, though, is I think these events that we've had over the last year or so, I think a lot of businesses have taken note from a standpoint. So I think you're starting to see, you know, I mean, we've always had contingency plans. as part of our process and, and our DNA for our customers. But I think you're starting to see our customers and our vendors and suppliers. I think it's becoming more of an awareness. You've got to have these plans in place flexibility, alternatives, you know, the single node network is no, is, you know, people are now are like redundancy. What happens if something happens in a certain geographic, et cetera. So I think this awareness has, it, it's been big enough and long enough that we, you know, the duration of it, I think it's making our customers, um, the suppliers, vendors, et cetera, more aware of contingency planning, flexibility, and having alternate source points to meet or, you know, and continue to grow and survive through these kind of episodes. Because you're right, there will be something else down the road, right? Hopefully it's not as what we just experienced or as large, but I think it has raised awareness with everybody to have those plans and contingency plans in place. So I guess we should be expecting the unexpected from here on. Okay. Well, thank you both for joining today. I really enjoyed both of your perspectives on this. And we'll look forward to whatever comes next in the market. And I think it sounds like we're operating in a much more flexible way than a month ago. Thank you. Enjoyed the conversation. Thanks very much. Enjoyed it. If you enjoyed the conversation today, please share it with a friend and rate us on Apple Podcasts. You can find us online at dhl.com slash allbusinessnoboundaries and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter at, at DHL Supply Chain. We'll see you next time.